Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. On the fourth floor of the NASCAR Hall of Fame, you'll find Heritage Speedway, a vast collection of artifacts from throughout the sport's history. And joining us here today, a driver who has made plenty of history of her own. Danica Patrick is our special guest for the entire next hour here on NASCAR America. I started racing when I was 10 and we raced at a little track called Sugar River Raceway that was, I don't know, it seemed like 10 hours in the car, but I'm sure it was like a half an hour away. Danica Patrick at the front of the field off of turn number four. <laughs> Most famous person on my cell phone. I don't know, it said LeBron James earlier, but Dale Jr., I always say he's probably the most famous person on my cell phone. I love dogs, but I don't know if I can handle more than two right now. Ella can open doors, the handle doors, from the inside or out. <laughs> what do I do? I guess kitty locks or something. For Valentine's Day last year, Ricky and I agreed to not crash each other on the track. We almost did, but we didn't. He was spinning, and I narrowly avoided him. It was a great, great Valentine's Day. And that's the way you start a show. We're going to have a lot of fun today here at the Hall of Fame. Welcome to NASCAR America. Chris Devoto alongside Steve Letard, Jeff Burton, and of course our special guest, Danica Patrick. Thanks for having me. Thanks, especially a busy time of year for you to take the time, come down here and join us. Talladega week. I mean, for any driver to kind of do anything in my mind, but like just sit there nervous is kind of crazy. How are you feeling this week? No, it's not like that at no? all. It's actually the opposite. You know that you really don't have anything to do barely until Sunday. Like, I mean, right. I mean, you feel like you guys yep. get what I'm saying. Yep. Like you just go out and you're trying to make sure that, you know, the splitter doesn't hit too hard. Um, the, you either get a, like an initial balance of like it's really loose in traffic or it feels pretty good. And if it feels pretty good, you're pretty much like, okay, get out of the car. We're done. <laughs> yeah. Um, if it's a little loose, you might do something, go back out. Otherwise, you're like, oh, we'll tighten it up. We'll be fine for the race. Uh, and then you go qualify and then you race. And so I think Talladega week is the opposite. Well, so it's laid back all weekend until Sunday, though. Yes. What is it like when you strap in for a race at Talladega? What's yeah. the approach? I mean, the super speedways definitely carry their own... Um, uh, feel because you kind of like and I'm gonna do my best you know from this point on I'm not gonna talk about the fact that you have a really good chance of crashing what I'm gonna say <laughs> is I've got a really good chance of winning there you I go. like that I like Last that half full yeah. right so how, how do you uh, can you really do that <laughs> yeah, I'm going to do it. I only have to do it for a few more days, I mean, right? So, but, you know, I mean, I think that, in you know, super speedways are those, you know, it's an opportunity for everyone because of just sort of the, the, the luck involved and being at the right place at the right time. And, um, you know, 
As far as, you know, racing and stuff, as long as you're comfortable, the car is tight enough that you can run really close in traffic and be able to put your car in a new lane really fast or be able to slot up into a spot or be able to handle a little bit of bumping. Other than that, it's really just about, you know, little bit of luck so I'm just gonna I'm gonna go with the whole positive vibe thing and hope it brings me a little bit of luck but you've been really good on the plate races right you feel you feel like you're a good plate racer because watching you I feel like you are yeah I, I mean there's so much that goes into plate racing beyond just you know driving the car of course like I think somebody asked me the other day you know your poll for you know the Daytona 500 you know what do you think I'm like well it's I mean, I don't have to do that much. So just driving is not the challenge. But what is the challenge is kind of, you know, I think that one of the underrated challenges that I, in the beginning for me even, was just feeling like I had to be more busy out there. And, and I think that there's a, there's a lot of value in patience on speedway races and how, you know, just like sticking with a lane until it makes its way to the front. I mean, every now and again, you're going to have to take a chance. And I think that it's good to show that just to show you care to move up. But for the most part, you're usually going to have to fight your way back up some other way. I mean, taking a big chance on a long train on the top and diving to the bottom and trying to make something happen. I mean, you got to be pretty aggressive. You know, you got to be catch a little bit of luck and be aggressive to like pull a car back and find your spot. So, you know, being patient, right place at the right time. And hopefully your guys have good pit stops. I think this is super speedway races are one of those races where your team really comes into play. If you're making green flag pit stops, things like that, or even let's say it's the end of the race and you're, you're making a pit stop under caution and, you know, they don't have a good pit stop and you lose five, eight spots. All of a sudden yeah. you go from a really like promising spot to yeah in the middle of where yeah. you don't want to be. So pit crew definitely makes a difference in Super Speed. It comes down to focus and patience, then. I'm not going to be a very good restricted plate <laughs> driver because I don't wait, have... How many coffees have you had today? Only four, so I'm doing Only pretty four. good. But, but This I'm afternoon eight. or the whole day? Uh, no, the whole day. I'm really? doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. Yeah. But, now, is it like a full like venti? Or yeah, oh, yeah, it? no, we don't mess. We had this conversation. Right. We're not even sure why they build small coffees. They should all be large. They should all be large. Yeah. I really so, base it off of the shots of espresso. Okay, so I, I so I don't do that. But I like to have about, you know, about four shots of espresso probably. Which, you know, group. for those who don't know, four? espresso has less caffeine than a cup of coffee. A shot of espresso is less caffeine than a cup of coffee. Because Until you start multiplying them. <laughs> it has to do with the amount of time that the, that the water sits in the grounds. And so with an espresso shot, it pulls fast and goes through, so there's not as much caffeine because it goes through faster. Where with drip coffee, it's sitting in those grounds for so long that it actually has more caffeine. And we thought we were just going to learn about racing. Telling you, I used to be great. a barista. Did you really? You didn't think the conversation was going to go this way, did you? <laughs> where got an you, hour to kill, so Where were you a barista? In Illinois? Uh, we owned a coffee shop in little town Roscoe, Illinois, yeah. growing up. And um, I remember I was living in England, and they, they started a coffee shop, my mom and dad, and I remember sitting and drawing the logo, like I drew the logo, and I don't remember how, if I played a part in the name at all, but it was called Java Hut, and um, I worked there. My parents will tell you that I would just not show up for work. That's crap. I did show up for work. <laughs> well, it's early. Coffee shop hours would be very early in the morning. I mean, you know... I'd be the afternoon wave. 30 coffee for the, for, it was, it, it, I'm a morning person, but maybe I was 10 minutes late. <laughs> traffic. <laughs> traffic in Roscoe, Illinois. Well, a problem. I don't know about traffic at the coffee shop, but traffic on, at Talladega. I want to have the conversation about teammates. We have this conversation in the booth, and you hear this, they're going to work together. Is that possible? Like, do you even know you have teammates out there, or in today's restricted plate racing, do you have to be selfish? 
I think you have to be selfish. I think you know who shows that the best, honestly? Dale Jr. I well, I was going to say, I work with, in my opinion, two of the most selfish. Jeff Gordon used to enter the team meeting, and the conversation was, hey, I'm going to apologize now because you guys are all going to hate me when this race is over. <laughs> yeah. And Dale Jr. kind of picked up on that. He said, no offense, but let's just not even pretend we're going to help each other because I'm not yeah. sure how we can. Right. Yeah, and I, I mean, I remember that. Like, when we were both Chevy teams and, like, we were, you know, a Stuart Haas, we were like, all right, we're going to work with, you know, Hendrick, we're going to draft, whatever. It would always fall apart right. like it never happened um barely ever i can only remember one time where you know it J jeff like fell into line with me and a couple other people and we, we qualified really well but you know it's just i think that if you plan too much you tend to have misunderstandings and mistakes and you also aren't just following the natural flow of things so i think there are times where you know you can be smart about who you're getting in line with but I think that there, most of the time you have to go with momentum. You have to go with an opening. You have to, you have to do what you can do. Um, it's not, it's not that. It's like honestly, like watching at home. Think about driving down the road even with follow, someone following you, and you're like, oh, oh, should I? Oh, I gotta stop at this light. I'm never like, good Oops, at that. I went through. I mean, even something simple where you can like, you're not trying to go as fast as you humanly can. You still have to worry so much about someone else, and it, it's kind of counterproductive I would say so um, so uh, teammates yeah I mean I think that you you you're smart about your surroundings but look if my teammates in the middle of three wide and on his own dropping to the back like an anchor I'm not gonna pull behind him and hit the brakes <laughs> and go to the back Sorry. with him right. Right, right yeah that's exactly and have to do it all again so I'm taking so I, notes. Yeah. Teammates and espresso. I'm Teammates keeping notes for the show so I'm good so far <laughs> so I learned a lesson I, I got mad at Talladega and I went got to the airport, you know, and I went and Dale Earnhardt was there, and that's who I was mad at, Dale Earnhardt Sr., and I'm like, you, you know, you know and, he's, and he grabbed me and went, am I here racing for me or am I here racing for you? And at that point, I went, you know what, no more teammates. Good talk. No more expect expectations. Yeah. And from then on, I'd go to my teammates and I'd say, look, if I can help you, I'm going to. And if you can help me, great. But don't help me if it's going to hurt you. Right. Right. And and that's that's kind of the level yeah. of expectation. Yeah, I think that's the way to approach me. And have you speedways. have you found that your teammates, not these particular teammates, but teammates in general, they expect more of you, and therefore they get disappointed when you don't help them? Because that was the experience that I had. Sure. I mean, doesn't everyone like to play the blame game? <laughs> there you go. Blame game two. Those are three things I'm good at. Traffic, no, no, teammates, coffee, and the blame game. Here's, here's how the blame game works here, by the way, since I'm the one with the paperwork. Oh. These two will just turn when. Oh, wow. So, well, you're welcome you know to. What? The blame game works its way right down the, here. The one with the biggest shoulder is the toughest one tends to get. Like when it's time so. to be real professional, we just. It. Turn to Kristen. Yes. She is that now? Is that's, that, that's, that's now from what I hear. So you were talking about teammates. Our first fan question. By the way, if you're watching, send in your questions for Danica. We're going to be doing them throughout the hour. Use the hashtag AskDanica. We have one already lined up. This is from freak for harvick 29 so pretty sure Got it. Kevin Harvick fan. Okay. Um, your favorite moment with Kevin um, as a teammate while driving for Stuart Haas Racing? Or a story, maybe, just something that stands out to you with Kevin. Uh, you know, I don't know. I don't feel like I have, like, a moment, but I do think that what Kevin brought to Stuart Haas was very valuable. Um, uh, I am by no means as aware of situations as he is. He, he knows what's going on with not only the team operation, but the car itself. Having owned a team, I feel like he learned so much. And um, it brought really good information to the team. And, um, you know, it helped push people, too. So and then obviously to have Rodney, who is 
very smart as his crew chief, and they both kind of work similarly. Um, you know, they uh, they 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 really push everyone to be better and um, and are very smart. So. So yeah, I mean, I feel like he just brings a good push to the team. So when I think of teammates, everybody thinks these cars drive themselves, right? Like if Jimmy Johnson was fast, then Jeff Gordon should have been fast. So we all know that the driver has so much input. So of your teammates, who do you think your driving style mimics? Who do you lean on for setup or advice just because the natural tendencies line up? Yeah, um, well, I mean, within our organization, um, so if we're talking about driving the car and the setup on the car, I don't think any one of our cars are identical to another. Right. Um, you, you know this from the Hendrick operation. It's we they work independently as crew chiefs, so mm -hmm. the, the cars almost can't I don't think be exactly the same every single and any weekend barely to the to your teammate. But you know, with that said, I drive most similarly to Kevin, um, just based on our. Um, we tend to be the drivers that, I mean, he uses a lot more throttle than I do because he just goes faster. But, you know, <laughs> similarly, you know, we like roll out of the throttle. We tend to right. roll back into it. Our brake tends to, he has a bit more uh, spiky brake, but, my, you know, we both kind of have duration to it, um, trail braking. Um, but we, we drive smooth. Um, so I think that our inputs are similar. Like then you've got someone like um, Kurt or, 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 or Clint as well, where they, Full throttle, Down. straight out of the throttle, maybe all the way out of the throttle where maybe Kevin and I carry a little bit of throttle through the corner. So, you know, I drive definitely most like See, Kevin. so this is something I can add. See, mm -hmm. I can't drive, but I've looked at enough data that, yeah. that driving styles is kind of like handwriting. Yeah, definitely. So I could see data of drivers and tell you which yeah. driver it was I worked right. with, even 100%. though just that's, they, they like don't even know how they're Stewart's doing it. It's like the perfect example. Tony would always have... When he came back to throttle, he'd always have a moment of flat and then, and then dip back out of yeah. it again. And it was like, it's like a, it's like a stamp. Yeah. 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 There's no, and there's no, what's right is what happens to be working on that day. And everybody says, we well, need to be doing that. Yeah. Well, wait a minute. I don't want to do that. I want to make my car work like this. And that's what's so hard. Well, at the end of the day, look at, I mean, if you look at like qualifying, I mean, we can be within, you know, hundreds, thousands, even tenths. Let's face it. Tenths are still small amount of time, yeah, right. but we're all doing something different on yep. track and we all have different setups and we all have different cars. Like we all have different, you know, our body builds are all different. I mean, there's always differences, but yet we're within a fraction. <laughs> so it's all possible if we can just, you know, put the best car on track with the most amount of downforce and the balance that your driver likes. I can see too where that driving style would almost mimic personalities because as you're talking about Clint, it's like oh, yeah. full drop. <laughs> I can see that. So we're just getting started as you can see having a lot of fun with Danica. Pretty much anything goes. I know, I know what you're thinking. We are going to ask her what's next for Danica. But in the next uh, segment, we're also going to talk about her racing roots. Yes, she's from the small town of Roscoe, Illinois, home of the Java Hut, we learned. We're going to explore Danica's early years and we'll also discuss how she's impacted the sport, taking it to places it's never been and inspiring thousands of young fans along the way. Plus, she'll join our group drivers meeting, the drivers meeting with Jeff and Steve, right? That's coming up as they explore her careers in both NASCAR and open wheel racing. All of that and more coming up from the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Stay tuned. Welcome back to NASCAR America. We're coming to you from the fourth floor of the Hall of Fame where fans can check out a section dedicated to pioneers of the sport, including statues of founder Bill France Sr., 2017 Hall of Fame inductee, Raymond Parks, and so much more. Well, Illinois can claim Hall of Famer Fred Lorenzen and our guest today, Danica Patrick. As a young girl growing up in Roscoe, Illinois, Patrick took part in all sorts of activities, 
but it was clear that racing would be her calling and in pursuing her dream, she has inspired many young racers to do the same. So your dream is to drive a NASCAR, right? Yes. All right, and who is your role model? Danica Patrick. Yeah, she's pretty cool. She's been on the show before. So you want to be as good as her someday, right? Better. Yeah. Oh, oh you want to be better than her. All right. <laughs> well, let's see what Danica has to say about that. <laughs> when she said she wants to be better than me, but I said to her as soon as I came out that that would be what I would tell her. You should want to be better than me. And if you keep that goal, you will be. Yeah, that's... You just have to have a goal. Yeah. That's good advice. Those are the special moments. Welcome back. And Dana, I was watching you watch that. Obviously, you remember that. But yeah. you get a big smile on yeah. your face because yeah. it seems like that's kind of what it's all about. That's the life away from the racetrack. Well... I think that as time goes on and you get a little bit out of your own way and your own thoughts and your own, you know, ego, you realize that that's the good stuff. Like that will always, that's the stuff that keeps you coming back and you're like, well, what's the point? And you're like, shoot, because I might be inspiring someone to follow their dreams and who knows, that could mean, you know, they invent something amazing or they're president of the United States. You just have no idea the butterfly effect that happens when you can inspire someone to, to develop a dream and something that they want to do. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's, I, out of everything that she could ever want to do and anyone she could look up to, she picked me. I mean, it's a big world. So, so at what point in your career did you realize I have all these young girls looking up to me, wanting to be me, and you, you were, whether you wanted it or not, you were a role model. What, what, when did that happen? Well, I remember, um, especially when I first started racing Indy cars, people asking me about being a role model, and at that point in time, I was 23, so it's pretty hard to be a role model when you need one still, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, I guess we never die. Wait, as we get older, we call them mentors, right? That's they're right. no longer idols or role models, they're mentors, so um, they just change names. But, um, but, you know, when you're young, you're kind of just thinking, like, I, I don't know how to do that or what that means or what even, yeah, what I have to do. And so... Uh, but what was really cool is that over time and being asked about it, it puts you in the position of thinking mm -hmm. and like self-reflecting and figuring out what it is that you really stand for and, and what got you here. And um, I think those things are, are very important for all of us to remember is how we got to where we are and what is important to us. And then, of course, dreaming into what we want beyond. Um, so uh, it's just, uh, it's been a good process for me as well. It's like almost like therapy when I would get asked about it. You know, you figure it out. Well, I mean, I think that's what the Hall is all about, right? So you sit in the Hall of Fame and it's all about kind of the people that set the bar before you. So, but for you, you've kind of set the bar for so many other people. Who was your, what do we want to call it? Idol, mentor, mentor, role model. We could go through them all. Who was it as you went through your career? Because you hit so many different disciplines. Yeah. Did it stay consistent yeah. or did it change with different disciplines? Well, I have an interesting answer. It's, it's, it's a little like, you know, kids going to school kind of answer. I'm like, I didn't finish high school, um, but uh, I didn't have one. Yeah. I just didn't. I did not. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe this should be my answer, but I, I, I well, my, it's like my answer to the little girl. You shouldn't want to be like me. You should want to be better than me. That is for sure. Mm -hmm. If you want 
the best of the, if you want to be at the highest level and accomplish the most, you should want to be better than everyone. And so I guess maybe in the back of my mind, either that's what I was thinking or for sure I just knew that I was different. And so I wanted to be the first me, not the next somebody else. And I never, I just didn't see anyone and think I want to be just like you, ever. I just didn't ever think that. And so, um, yeah, so if anybody can see someone as like a, a beacon or a direction to go or something that they want, um, then that's good, but you should then dream into how it looks for you in your life. I'm stealing um, that line. I know. I'm gonna be, did you get it? Because I, I need an excuse for me to be like this, so well, I'm going to take that. Well, I'm going to be my own I person. I remember sitting down with you at Stewart House Racing, I guess maybe two or three years ago, we did the, the special uh, for, for Motorsports in May, and, Indy, and, you said the, and you said that, and I remember that. And um, it, it stood out to me because you're right. You're like, oh, yeah, and someone else can be a blueprint maybe or give you a direction. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you've got to want to push past that. Yeah, absolutely. That should be your goal. I mean, because if it's not, then you won't ever get there. I mean, like just meeting those, the little clip at the very beginning of meeting those fans and especially the kids. But what's funny is that I would think, I actually think that kids have an answer to this question more so than adults, and that's what do you want to do with your life? What, if you could do anything in the world, what would you do? And what is your dream? And what do you want to, what do you want to be when you grow up? Because like, I mean, we're, we're all still growing up, you know? Um, but, and, and kids have an answer more commonly than adults. And the thing is, is that we have plenty of time to do so much in our lives. And so answering that question is the most important thing. And um, it should look different for everybody. Well, so as you look ahead, I mean, what does what does it look like a month from now, a year from now? I mean, what does the future hold for Danica? A month from now, where are we? At Martinsville? We're about done. Is that right? Two months. I give you through Miami, uh, but then yeah. past Miami, what's it look like for Danica Patrick? Uh, Thanksgiving, uh, yeah. Thursday. That's, right. uh, that's always right after. Right. I think one time there's been one week in between, but um, Thanksgiving, and then there's the banquet to go to, and. Um, but other than that, I mean, for me, it's obviously figuring out what to do next and, you know, how it looks and um, if I'm going to race for another team, if I'm going to keep going, if I'm not going to keep going. I mean, all that stuff is getting figured out right now. And I'm all I can say is that I'm just very open minded. I think that, you know, just with anything in life, you can't force things to happen. I mean, you can force, but I feel like you pay the price at some point in time. You prolong the pain or you have to clean up a mess later. So I'm just in a go with the flow mode. You know, what comes will come and it's gonna be great and it's going to all be wonderful. And all I know is that I keep in mind all the things that I want for my life and everything will fit in according to that. But you, you've been open in saying that you, you want to keep driving, right? But you only want to drive for a team that's competitive. Is that right. fair to say? Right, absolutely. Um, you know, I feel like, you know, I've kind of self-reflected a little bit after um, it came out that I wasn't going to drive for Stuart Haas anymore. And it was like, I felt like the news was either I died is kind of what it felt like, or I'm for sure retiring. Like, that's how it felt to everyone. Like, oh, she'll be remembered. I'm like, Whoa still here I mean I could still be doing the same thing next year um, but with a different team and so um, but what I what I what I saw about it all was that not only did there was there a lot of positively positivity which I'm very grateful for um, but also is that um, you know you you've just gotta you, you just gotta keep an open mind to anything possible and um, I'm not I'm not trying to contrive anything but but number one is that if I continue it's going to be with an opportunity that gives me the chance to win and that some you know sometimes it feels like you get put on the hot seat of like oh she hasn't done anything but guess what you know what 
I hold myself to the highest standard of racing for the best team and having a chance to win and going out and winning. And everyone else did too. And that's why it's a failure because I haven't won. So it's like, I actually looked at it like everyone kept seeing me that way because that's how I saw myself. And that is the most important thing. I mean, I don't feel like, I, I feel like it's a positive. Everyone believes I can win just like I believe I can win. And so not doing it feels unfortunate. Um, I mean, we're not done yet, but you know, right. but, but that's you, the goal. But you seem like you're in a really good place. Like you seem like, you know, you just said, I saw myself, so what other people, I mean, you seem like you have settled in and you're comfortable with you. Yeah. And that if you made yourself happy. I meditate all the time. It's the only thing that helps now. <laughs> <laughs> and coffee. And Three coffee. shots before comes I try and do the meditate. No, I gotta have coffee before I meditate. No, no, the other way, I don't know. <laughs> um, no, I, I am. I, I just, I think that, you know, being, older and just you know i this leads me to a next conversation i feel like the youth is wasted on the young like you know when you're a kid you want to play and you have to go to school and you have to sit in your certain seat and you have to do exactly what you're told and then when you get older like i'm 35 all i want to do is learn now like i'm so curious about things i'm so much more open-minded i'm so much more like uh inquisitive and so like as i've gotten older the more i learn the more i realize you can't force things to happen and you have to be open-minded to great things coming and great things if it's not great right now it means there needs to be a change and sometimes change is hard but it's also where potential lies and so you know, anyway, that's a whole other topic, but... Um, this has been the most reflective... I know, and, like, for, and the right perspective of any NASCAR America we've ever done. <laughs> and Just, no, you know, no offense to the other drivers we've had on, but we've learned quite a bit about a wide variety of topics. <laughs> and you, Just for the record, that whole sit where you're supposed to, I wasn't good at that either. No, yeah. I don't, yeah. Isn't that coffees? sad, but you got in trouble for it, right? Who cares no, where you do. sit? But you, you know what I got in trouble for? Just not showing up. No, that's, oh. what, that's what I got. You talk about Well, that's because I think that I. this is... This is me. I should watch my mouth right now. But when I was a kid, I was gone for racing all the time, of course. And I would miss lots of Fridays and then Thursday, Friday, and then, you know. Um, and so I was, but I did well in school. And so I, but I didn't get the opportunity to be in the Renaissance program, which was for people with like, I think a 3.5 and above. And so, um, so I, I was really sad about that because I, I wasn't in it because I missed too many days of school. And then I came to the conclusion that, um, the school makes money every time a kid shows up, so they didn't make money off of you that day. But, hey, to be clear, I mean, I'm I sure there's more to this story, but yeah, Renaissance. No. You, uh, you said you you want to learn. You're always yeah. wanting to learn and kind of yeah. grow. Is that what's led you to kind of have all these different things going on? I mean, you have your clothing line, the winery. Yeah. I mean, you have a book coming out. Yeah. Is it that you kind of want to touch different things and, and put your stamp on different yeah. things because you enjoy so many different things? Well, the learning. Um, is about everything, of course, because while when you're a kid, again, this fell on deaf ears as a kid, but knowledge is power. The only way that you can make sure that you're not taken advantage of is that you're aware of the situation and you know all sides of it. And so in business or anything that you do, knowledge is power. But also it's not even just the knowledge of simple things that you could read or educate yourself in in a, in a broad in way, but it's about learning about yourself. And so that's a lot of the stuff that I've done too, is learning about myself. And so, um, you know, over the last few years, I mean, just, I think honestly, it has a lot to do with living in North Carolina and like living in the country is that I came from living in stimulation places like downtown Chicago, Scottsdale, Arizona. Like, there's like a house next door and always something to do and distract you. And so, you know, being in North Carolina, there's not a lot to do. And so, you kind, you, you there can be, but you have to develop them yourself. 
And so I feel like it's given me this blank space of time to really figure out what I, what I enjoy doing and develop hobbies. And so I literally just developed hobbies and they were always in me. I've always cooked a lot. I've always worked out since I was 14. Um, I, love, um, I love learning about the body and how it works. Um, I love fashion and clothes and artistic things. I mean, I paint and do different things. So all these things just, while they've been inside of me, were able to flourish because I now had no other stimulation of like, go to this yoga class and go to this restaurant and go shopping and run here and do that. It was like, you're just here now. Mm -hmm. And so they really had the chance to really flourish and they became businesses there's a winery that's oh yeah i really okay. like wine too. the winery's winery. okay the winery is okay yeah i uh, my uh my gm tracy she sent me a picture this morning of the valley and she was on top of somnium's property and my my wine and the valley is just covered in smoke and actually i just talked to uh, justin marks who their family has gemstone out there and he sent me a picture um, today and he said it stopped literally the other side of the road from their vineyard. And so it's like, I mean, look, if there's one thing that takes a while to rebuild, it's nature. And that's what a vineyard is, is, a, is nature. And so, you know, for those, for, those, the, for those wineries to have to, I don't even know. I know that like for me, I, I regrafted a block of my vineyard from Cabernet to Cab Franc. Now it only took about a year, but it regrafted onto the rootstock. And so it grows faster. You don't have to grow the roots. Um, but now that it's burned, burned down, I, I, they might have to replant, which means they are going to spend three years waiting for their wine to be back again. And so there, so many people are going to be set back. But if there's one thing I've learned about Napa Valley is that Man, they are hard workers. They all support each other. I mean, there are charities that raise so many millions of dollars that literally just support the vintners. So, you know, they are very supportive in their own community. And I have no doubt that places like Dariush and places like that that burn down to the ground will just come back better than ever. If there's going to be a wine shortage, we might need to know about that. <laughs> What's that? Did you say wine? Are we I said, if there's going to be a wine shortage, we need to know about that. Oh, no. Wine's good. I do, you can, I I do buy feel my like in the spirit of the show, there should have been wine. It should be well, like uh, Today's Show in the morning. Who said there was? Yeah, that one show that with Hoda and Kathy yes. where they drink. I mean, it is like, what, four, I know. five o'clock? We missed the boat on this. I know. I know. Barnes, do something about I that. I should have brought my wine. I'm sorry. That no. was ignorant of me. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. We were just getting started. We have a lot more with Danica. So coming up in the next segment here from the Hall of Fame, uh, I think you're going over to the driver's meeting pretty soon. She's made her name in IndyCar coming up. She'll join Jeff and Steve for a look back on her biggest moments from both series. Stay tuned. Dale Earnhardt was part of the first NASCAR Hall of Fame class back in 2010, and his son has left his own mark on the sport. Dale Earnhardt Jr. will be our special guest here at the Hall on NASCAR America next Tuesday at 5 Eastern. He's going to have to bring it to top this one with Danica. Maybe he'll be coming off a win at one of his favorite tracks. The playoffs on any given Sunday, you never know what's going to happen. Talladega Super Speedway, big, fast, and unpredictable. The NASCAR playoffs continue from Talladega, Sunday on NBC.
Martin Truex Jr. is already into the round of eight, leaving the other playoff drivers to face the pressure at Talladega, which is no longer an elimination race. However, that makes Steve Letarte believe we're in for more aggression. What more aggression at NASCAR's biggest track? He explained this morning on Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. And NASCAR moving that race from the cut race to the middle basically takes that strategy out of the hands of the crew chiefs and the driver. I think between stages and the points that are available, that the only one that can really feel good about it at all is Martin Truex Jr., and he has nothing to lose. Everybody else, I think, feels like they have to go down there and have to score some points. You can hear NASCAR and NBC personalities like Steve every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Eastern on The Morning Drive with Mike Bagley and Pete Pistone, only on Sirius XM NASCAR Radio, Channel 90. Coming up next, Danica Patrick has moved over with Jeff and Steve into our driver and crew chief meeting. And don't forget to send in your questions. Welcome back. The NASCAR Hall of Fame covers four floors. On the third floor, you'll find Race Week, which gives fans an interactive behind-the-scenes look at how teams prepare their cars to hit the track. Into turns three and four. Danica Patrick coming out of four, and boys, move over. The lady is coming through. Danica Patrick wins at Twin Ring Motegi. Danica Patrick became the first woman to win a major closed course race with that IndyCar win nine years ago in Japan. And since migrating to NASCAR, she's continued to set the standard for female drivers. For more on her time as a pioneer in both series, let's head over to a special section of the Hall of Fame dedicated to NASCAR pioneers. Seems appropriate for today's driver crew chief meeting. Jeff? Well, we're here in the driver's meeting. That's what we're going to call this. This is okay. not a modern race car, certainly not an IndyCar, but you got your first big win in IndyCars, and you came to NASCAR. That had to be a huge transition. What was that like? I don't know. It just kind of seemed like the way to me, uh, as far as at least making the decision anyway. I mean, it was a transition, and that's why I did nationwide and did part-time um, for the first two years, because I was, I was just coming off of my best year in IndyCar. I finished fifth in the championship, and you know, it was everything was going well, so I had never really driven a stock car, so I didn't know if I'd even like it. So I was like, well, I'll just start slow, and um, I really enjoyed it, and so then made the full-time transition for what was then the Nationwide Series for 2012, and then 13 on Cup. So uh, as far as driving the cars, now I felt right at home right away, and I felt um, I, I, didn't, I didn't have a problem driving it. I think that what is hard, though, is that there are so many things that are new and different with the way that you need to set the car up, that your input, not only from a driving standpoint, but from an information standpoint matters. It's all just different than an Indy car, but just driving it is fine. I mean, if you can drive, you can drive, but, um, but you know, making it fast every weekend or knowing what it's doing, just even something simple, like not knowing that I needed to say what the water temp was, because right. you can put more tape, which is more down for, I didn't even know. I mean, it took me years to figure that out. So, but what's that moment in your career? So your NASCAR career has been documented, your Indy car career has been documented. What about your childhood, your go-kart? They're having a great time They're over there. A great you should time. come to the hall, because downstairs, is. it's a blast. That's the big you need Sunday. It I sounded mean, like. That was four tires and under 10 right there. I like that. But like, talk about like racing go-karts and up there. What's that moment of your career that you remember that we may not? 
Oh, like a success, um, a race, oh. something. Well, I mean, I think one of the big ones for me that happened was over in England. It was called the Formula Ford Festival, and um, it was uh, like over a hundred entries. This is the lowest level of open wheel racing, um, so there's no wings, um, but there was a lot of really great drivers. This is the series that people like Jensen Button drove in, right, right. and people like that. Um, so uh, it's uh, I finished um, I finished second, which was the highest ever for an American. Um, and of course for a, for a female so that was just one of those races that I finally had something really good happen um, and uh, it was it was I think it really helped get the attention of Bobby Rahal who ended up giving me my job when I came back to America um, a couple of years later um, I'd actually become friends with him when I lived over there because he was running um, Jaguar Formula One team and so we would go <laughs> We would go to lunch at TGI Fridays, <laughs> like trying to bring some America into England. Um, some but, good uh, mozzarella sticks. We be, yeah, and taste skins. Oh, that too. You're right. Uh, with the bacon bits. Um, but we uh, we became friends, and we're still great friends. So, yeah. Well, uh, you mentioned Ray Hall, and I'm thinking Indy 500. I remember, you know, getting ready to go run the Coca-Cola 600 and watching you come that close to winning <laughs> Indy. Do you have unfinished business <laughs> Well, uh, I always felt like I would win at Indy, and um, you know, then when I came to NASCAR, I felt like, well, maybe it's because I just didn't clarify which car I was going to win in. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, I, I wouldn't change anything. And so, like looking back at, um, you know, looking back at the first year, especially Dan Weldon won, and. Um, you know, he obviously isn't with us anymore, and everything happens for a reason. And so after he got his second Indy 500 win, which was done in high style when uh, J.R. Hildebrand hit the wall in the exit of four trying to go around lap traffic, and he was leading the race, I mean, Dan won, and everything happened for a reason. He had two trophies for his two kids, and that's what he had always wanted. And so I don't ever look back at things and think I, I, I wish it was different. Um, I think that uh, everything everything does happen for a reason and has its effect as things go on. It's that, that butterfly effect. And so uh, my life would be completely different if I would have won in 2005. And I'm not saying that it would have been worse it, or better. It just would have been different. And I love who I am and where I'm at right now. So, um, but do I have unfinished business? I don't know. I guess if you don't if you don't accomplish your goal, there's always some level of unfinished business, no matter who you are or what you do. Well, I think if you set your goals high enough, you're always going to have that on your list. Yeah. Whatever it might be. I have things that I wasn't able to accomplish sure, the same way, but as a race car driver in NASCAR, we talk about this all the time, I had my favorite tracks, he had his. What's the track that when you pull in the tunnel, you just have a smile on your face? That oh, track you love to go to. Indy's special, there's no doubt about it. Like, I, I mean, it's just the whole, like the amount of laps I have run around the outside of the track. Yeah. Like, uh, can everyone hear me? <laughs> um, I, uh, I feel like I'm in the race car and on the radio and I'm like, I can't even hear myself right like now. Like I said, they're having a good time. Yeah, um, but uh, it, um, Indianapolis is very special. Always has been, always will be. There's an aura about it, and uh, I mean, I just feel like I know every inch of that place. So, um, so yeah, Indy. She what about the other? Martinsville. I don't know. If yeah. No, that's me. I actually, if I had to oh. pick a cup track that was my favorite, yeah. I would say Martinsville. I've had the most. I've had the best races. I think consistently. There. What about on the other side of that? What's Worse? the place? Yes. What's the one you're like? Oh, I don't want to go there. Honestly, I hate Darlington. I just hate it. 
Well, listen, you and I, I used to like you, but I got to. <laughs> I have to tell you, I think you have more on your side, and but you hate it for all the right reasons. Like, like everybody that doesn't like Darlington, it is what it, as advertised, right? I mean, it is as tough as advertised. It is an exhausting race. It is four corners. Oh, it is not crazy. two ends. It is not. It's next to the wall. Every corner is different. I mean, you're driving over the apron. You're. I mean, it's it's. It's tough. It's a tough track, and um, so I, I have not liked Darlington. Can you imagine driving one of these at Darlington? Oh, God. I mean, I, that's what I, I'm like, how did they do that? It's 500 crazy. miles in these cars would have taken, like, five days. Oh, my goodness. I mean, how did anyone even make it to the end with a car? <laughs> a lot of them didn't. Oh my well, one advantage, Chris, is this one behind us still has the radio and the dash. So oh, maybe that will we help. Had, yeah, has yeah. some tunes for all 500 miles. <laughs> Tune it to Bon Jovi. That's what I'm asking for. Uh, yeah, that was a lot of fun. I kind of feel left out that those guys were over there, but they're going to come back in just a little bit. We're not done with Danica. Don't forget, keep sending in your questions. Use the hashtag AskDanica. More from the Hall of Fame next. I've realized that I actually say yes a lot of times, even if I'm not comfortable, just because I enjoy challenging my fears. I, I really do. Like, I... I super afraid of heights and I went to New Zealand many years ago and I bungee jumped because I just wanted to conquer the fear. I'm still afraid of heights, but for that day, I, like, I can if I need to. Like, I'm capable of anything. So, you know, racing was one of those things where it wasn't my idea, it was my sister's idea, but I said, yeah, I'll do it. And I didn't want to get left out, so we started racing. What a great attitude, especially today. I don't know if you guys saw, what is it? It's um, Girl Day. I think there's something, there's a hashtag on, on Twitter that's Day of the Girl. Day I can't of the keep girl. up with them all, though. There's so a lot. So I love that. It's like so inspirational. Are you ready? Oh, every for some, day was Day of the Girl. Day of the, you're there. Now there's the right answer right there. Are you ready for oh, some fan license. questions? Yeah, let's yeah? do it. Okay, I think the first I'll one is from um, Big Josh. It's like Big Josh TV. I have it down. Big Josh uh, wants to know who would play you um, in, in the movie of your life. Which actress? Mm. Um, gosh, um, you know, probably somebody like Robbie Margot, you know, stunning, beautiful, blonde hair, looks just like me. <laughs> I like that approach. Who do you we think had, should play me in a We movie? actually had um, some of our folks back back in the control room thought Kate, Kate Mara. I've you know heard Kate that. Mara? I've heard that. I've heard that when she's acting, like, people are like, you look like her. Really? When I was growing up, I got Demi Moore a lot. Yeah. Um, but, you know, pretty much probably as a real answer, like anybody with long, dark hair has got the job. And at the racetrack, if someone has long, dark hair, they get asked if they're Danica. I mean, that's happened <laughs> since the beginning. All the time. Who do you get confused for? Uh, I, I, In the booth. And people think you are. Oh, so listen, if you can't see me and only listen to me, I'll say something controversial and people start tweeting Kyle Petty. Because somehow we sound the same, which I don't think we do at all, but the fans do. Happens every week. Yeah. Every week. Okay, ha uh, Harley Howard, 03, wants to know your advice to young women who want to be part of NASCAR, either through journalism um, or racing. What would be your advice? Oh, and you like probably get asked this a lot. Any part of NASCAR, like driving so. or work? Well, I mean, I think that you just have to find what it is that you're passionate about. So let's say if it's journalism, then... You know, you have to, like, if you want to know the stories of the drivers and be able to get more in-depth with that stuff and you love to learn, then sure. I mean, you can apply that to a lot of different areas, but um, but I think that you just have to find something that you're passionate about. And so many different things can apply to NASCAR. You know, you could be passionate about engineering. You could be passionate about aerodynamics. You, should, you could be passionate about um, social skills, people skills, working with the media, working with the drivers. Um, you could want to drive yourself, of course. Um, so there's a 
uh, there's just a lot of areas that in NASCAR you um, could apply yourself because um, obviously it's a it's a huge business. Well, I tell everybody all the time the feeder system to NASCAR for whatever that job is. It, it's it's no there is no predictable path, mm -hmm. right? Like so I got a job sweeping floors and, and worked my way up to be the crew chief, right? Like from a 16-year-old right. cleanup kid. Right. You know, you drove and right. had success and went to Europe. You know, you weren't really in a racing family and turned into a racer. So there's yep. no predictable right. path. Right? No doubt. And I think that's why, you know, for me when I say, as we said, as I was talking about earlier about having a dream, you have to have that dream, but you have to not be worried about how you get there. You have to just take the opportunities when they come. And I feel like so many people, like I feel like I witness this a lot with people when they get out of school, like they want that perfect job. Just get a job. Right, like right, right. you'll learn no matter what, you'll have experience, you'll, it'll lead you to the next thing. And so um, if you grow out of it, you're going to grow out of it. Um, but just start, start, just start somewhere, anywhere, and just know where you want to end up and not be so worried about how you get there because people get hung up on that. What time for one more Racer Boy 90. Would you ever want to try out for American Ninja Warrior? And if you did, would you oh. make it further than Ricky? Oh, well that's just so mean to like that, uh, I no, threw that uh, in. That was my You know what that oh, was, oh. That was that, you know uh, what I heard? I heard yes but didn't want to say yeah. it. So he's extremely like simple, like brave as far as just like yep, jump in with two feet. You know, he just he has no problem uh, trying new things especially with his like tr with his body whether it be like you know wakeboarding or surfing or anything like that and I don't like to get hurt so I mean like jumping and missing like sounds like no fun to me so um, like I'm better at the workouts where I'm like okay 25 wall balls 50 burpees 75 of these like I'm like I can do that I've done all those before let me go and then I use my mind like because the body follows the mind and so but for me, like taking those jumps and leaps and chances, that's not my nature. Um, but, which is funny because racing is all about pushing your comfort zone. But, you know, anyway, um, that's why I'm always afraid to try something new at first. Like every time I've gotten in a car for the first time, I'm always nervous, but it usually goes well. So Danica, thank, thank you for so much. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks to the Hall of Fame. And we will see you at Talladega this weekend, NASCAR America, tomorrow at 5. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.